you would, turn in the Bible to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Last week, we finished up the book of James, and we'll jump back into our next study sometime here soon. Today, we're gonna look at Psalm 63. I'm thankful for our church. I woke up this morning thinking it's cold and wet and icy, and I got here early, there were a whole group of people here, lots. Made sure everything was okay. Parking lots, not slick, salt everywhere. They were already done with all of those things and they were ready to pray. When I got here, everything was done and there were people here ready to pray and that is such a blessing and encouragement. I'm so thankful for our music, Andrew. Thank you for that. Holly and Yosetis, thank you for that. I, I personally love the Spanish added into the songs and I I had never heard the Spanish of that particular song, so that was, that was great. And I'll try my best to sing along in Spanish. Um, we're thankful for our church. And it's been a heavy week for our church. For those of y'all who had not heard, one of our, our dear church members, Miss Linda McDaniel, passed away last Sunday. Her funeral was here on Thursday. If you didn't know, she, she was a widow and set up here on the front row and been faithful to our church for a long, long time. So it was a heavy, heavy week. When you go through heaviness like that, it makes you ask good questions, doesn't it? Makes you feel emotions that you've maybe not felt recently. And I want you to know that who you are deep down on the inside is so much more important than who you are on the outside. Now in faithfulness and growth and maturity, hopefully those align more and more. That there's a consistency between your outer person and your inner person. But your soul is the most important part of you. Who you really are. And it seems like with some regularity at a funeral of a family that, that I don't know, which happens quite a bit, somebody will pull me aside. This happens all the time. Somebody will pull me aside and they'll say, where are they now? What are they now? Like literally, where are they and what are they doing right now? Are they gone? Do they cease to exist those are good questions, aren't they? And the Bible says the soul is much more important than the body. So the body, we may know exactly where it is. We buried it right, you know, right there in that grave. But the soul has way more value than the body. These bodies are going to waste away, every one of them. But the soul is what matters. Our souls need God. Your soul does. Read with me, if you will, from Psalm 63 as we study today the soul. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you 
So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Psalm 63 is a classic. You've probably read it before. It does have the great phrase in verse three that God's love is better than life and what a statement that is. And we'll look at it here in just a few minutes. Psalm 63 is known to the early church as a go-to song. The Psalms were songs for the people of Israel. They would sing these. Many of them we still sing and some of them we don't sing, but this was a go-to for them. They knew this psalm and they would sing it often. But what I've taken notice of is that you have three different stages of the soul or emotions of the soul or positions of the soul. Verse one, the soul thirsts. Verse five, the soul will be satisfied. And verse eight, the soul clings. And those will be our points today. Number one, the thirsty soul. Number two, the satisfied soul. And number three, the clinging soul. And I hope that you will be able to identify with these. So number one, the thirsty soul. Psalm 63 begins with this desperate cry out to God. Oh God, you are my God. And earnestly, I seek you. Not passively, not when it's available, not sometimes, not half-hearted, but with earnest, there is a devotion to God, an effort toward him, a working faith, if you will, like James taught us. He earnestly seeks God. And so that's the theme of this psalm, that he loves God and he knows him and he trusts him and he finds his strength in God. It's a good psalm. This isn't a psalm of, of, of like so many of the psalms where life is just so terribly bad. This is a good psalm. He loves God and he trusts God. But as you can see at the little, the little words above Psalm 63, it says that this is a psalm of David, King David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. David was on the run. We don't exactly know where, but David was on the run. David was uh, hiding out. David was worried. And so here we have this song prayer that he cries out to God in that state of tension between life's not exactly the way I want life to be going, but I know God and I love God and I look to God and I trust God, even in the midst of being in a desert where he was. But it is a good psalm. And he seeks God. The first way he describes seeking God is with a thirsty soul. He says, my soul thirsts for you, God. And he says, my flesh faints. Thirsting and fainting are not strengths, or at least we don't think that they are. If you're thirsty, you need to get something to drink. If you're really thirsty and dehydrated, you really need to get something to drink, don't you? 
If you're about to faint, then you need to make some adjustments so that you don't faint. Fainting is scary. Passing out is a bad thing. And he feels like that's about to happen to him spiritually. Not necessarily physically, but spiritually. He says he feels like he's in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I don't know if you've ever been that thirsty before, but that's bad. That's not good. He feels perhaps empty. He hasn't had a drink in a while. He feels spiritually like he needs God. But I told you it's a good psalm. It's not a bad one. He's not, he's not off in sin. He's not forgotten to read his Bible. He's not quit going to church. He's not been so focused on the world that he's forgotten about God. That's not him. He's focused on God. But I want you to see, according to Psalm 63, sometimes you can be all in on God and still thirsting in your soul. I hope you know that, church. Sometimes life is just that way. Sometimes you're doing everything right and you're still thirsty and faintly on the inside. That is a real position in the Christian life. Don't be so weak and shallow that you're ready to give up on Jesus just because you got thirsty. And as a little side note right now, we're all guilty of this. There are times when we're thirsty and we go get a drink of something that doesn't quench thirst, right? Haven't you heard that before? I remember they told me that Gatorade isn't really the thirst quencher. You drink Gatorade and you end up wanting more Gatorade. That water's the thirst quencher. But I like Mountain Dew and sweet tea and that's definitely not the thirst quencher. You drink a big old sweet tea and you're wanting a refill right away. And you drink so much sweet tea that you're kind of like, it didn't quench your thirst. And you know what? Spiritually, we're the same way, right? And so many times we think, man, I just need some time to myself. I'm just about to binge watch this show. I just need to go shop. And we think these things are relaxing, but next thing you know, they didn't quench our soul. And so perhaps, just like we run to a drink that doesn't quench our thirst, maybe we run to things that don't quench the thirst of our faith or our spiritual life or our lives. But nevertheless, David is thirsting for God, and it's good. But he remembers all of the goodness of God and faith. Verse two, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He remembers when he would go into the sanctuary and they would worship and they would be focused on truth and their God and his salvation and how good he is for them and how he will never leave them or forsake them. If you're thirsty, it doesn't mean God has left. He knows that. He worships God. He recalls in verse three that it is the love of God that is better than absolutely anything better than life. You can be laying on your deathbed and be moving toward better. Imagine. Life can be going down the drain and you think it can't get any worse. And God says it's better because he loves you. And if you are loved by God, you have everything. Eternity is safe and secure and joyful and happy and no tearing, I mean, no crying with no tears and no pain forever because of God's love, regardless of what life is. We absolutely believe that. And David knows that he's recalling this. He says, because your love's better than life, my lips will praise you. Verse four, I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. David is in a desert. 
He's thirsty. Spiritually, he's thirsty, and he's out there like this. I bet they were thinking, what is he doing? He was thirsting for God. But it raises the question, do souls thirst? Mouths do, tongues do, but do souls? Do you feel thirsty right now? Have you ever thought, man, I needed to hear that? Man, I hadn't read my Bible in a while and I'm glad I did. You know why we so often hear like, man, I hadn't read my devotional in several days and so I picked it up and I opened it up and guess what it was about? It wasn't so much that it was like this perfect divine providence that it was some super special connection between what you needed to hear. It's just that it was the very thing that quenches your thirst. It's not that it was a specific brand of water that quenched your thirst. It's just that it was water that quenches thirst. God quenches soul thirst. God does. And there isn't anything else that does. There really isn't. But this idea of souls thirsting is not new to us. You probably haven't thought about it in a long time, but you've heard it before. Listen to Psalm 42. As a deer pants for the streams... So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 42, you've heard that before, right? As the deer, like a deer running and panting hard and needing some water because he's been sprinting through the woods, stops at the water and drinks some. That's what I feel like Psalm 42 says. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 42, though, because I said, what does it look like for a soul to thirst? Psalm 42 then says this, verse three. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. That's what it means to thirst for God. Do souls thirst for God? Absolutely they do. John MacArthur says David in Psalm 63, in his estimation, is facing a drought, a severe divine drought. He needs God and he knows he needs God and he is aware that the very thing he needs is God. And is that you? Can we admit that we all get thirsty and our souls get thirsty, but have you come to the place in your life where you know that when your soul is thirsty, the answer is God, and you know that, and you know how to go and drink from him? Now, we could have gone a whole long direction here today on just the very study in the scripture of the living water. Isn't that a theme throughout the Bible? Yes. And Jesus says, I'll give you something to drink, and you'll never thirst again. But that would have taken too long because there's so many mentions of that in scripture. But I just wanted to get your minds to go there. David says his soul is thirsting for God. That's a real category. I want to read to you an interview about a, a testimony. This is a man who was very successful in Hollywood, California, big stage, had a ton of, a, of attention and success. And it didn't satisfy him. It didn't quench what his life longed for. He came to faith in Christ. In this interview, here's the question. Take me back to that day in this very coffee shop 10 years ago. What was going on in your life that made the soil, so to speak, ready to receive the gospel seed? 
He said, well, actually, it was a moment in Paris six months earlier. I was at a fashion party, and I just felt empty. I had done everything in Hollywood. I had met everyone. I had traveled everywhere, yet I was overwhelmed with emptiness at this party. It was one of the most intense, is that all there is, moments in my life. I had already been wrestling with questions about the meaning of life, searching for it in all sorts of ways, but I thought God was never an option. I was searching for meaning. Y'all, there are thirsty souls out there. And you may be here this morning with a thirsty soul. There are unbelievers who are thirsting this day and they don't know where to find the drink and we must be the ones who point them to a love that is better than life. If the Bible says in Psalm 63 that God's love is better than life, then hear me. No desire in this life will quench that thirst. You must believe that. And our church is full of young people that will grow up and become teenagers and they can't wait to move out and go do their own thing and get away from everybody telling them what to do and make their own decisions. If you are in that category here this year or in the next 20 years, listen to me, go and search all you want to. We will have your back. You will not find quenched thirst in this life. I assure you that. If you are a young person, listen to your pastors, listen to those of us who love you. It will not be quenched by you going and trying to find relationships and jobs and money and travel and the world and fun and all of that. It will not. It will be fun. It will not quench your life. It will be adventurous. It will not quench your life. Your soul is thirsty. King David is in a desert. He is the king of Israel. He has everything he wants and it will not be quenched because only Jesus Christ's love can do that. That is why that video said, greater love has nobody than this, than they lay down their lives. There is a love that quenches and there is nothing else that quenches than the love of God. And this guy found that out. Listen to how it goes on. He said, so when I came to this coffee shop six months later and I saw that a group of young people were in the coffee shop with their Bibles open, I started asking them questions. They explained the gospel to me. They explained what they believed. Specifically, I asked what their church believed about homosexuality and they told me. I appreciated their honesty and that they didn't beat around the bush. And he goes on to explain how God changed his life. He's recalling that from 10 years ago, but it started with him admitting I was empty or thirsty on the inside. When I was in college a long time ago, I fell in love with a music group called Cademan's Call. I don't even know if they're still together, but they wrote a song. They did an album called A Long Line of Leavers, People That Leave. And they said, the whole album's about that. Like, hey, we had to come to grips with, you live long enough and you got people that leave all the time. You got friends that leave and family that leave and church people that leave. Life's about people leaving your life in a lot of ways. And one of the songs they wrote that I listened to this week and it brought me to tears, Valleys Feel First. Hey, if your soul's thirsty, get on YouTube today and look up Valleys Feel First. Not many lyrics, but listen to this. This is a valley that I'm walking through and it feels like forever since I've been close to you. 
My friends up above me don't understand why I struggle like I do. My shadow's my only companion. And at night, he leaves too. Down in the valley, dying of thirst. Down in the valley, it seems that I'm at my worst. Out in this wasteland, I miss the mountaintop view, but it's here in this valley that I'm surrounded by you. Though I'm not here by my will, it's where your view is most clear. And so I'll stay in this valley if it takes 40 years. Down in the valley, dying of thirst. When I'm down in the valley, it seems that I'm at my worst. But it's here in this valley that I'm surrounded by you. Hey, if your soul is thirsty, don't first think, let me find something that may quench it. Believe today that Jesus Christ, who loves you more than anybody else, can and will quench that thirst. His love is better than the good life. His love is better than the bad life. His love is better than the high life. And his love is better than the low life. His love is better than life. It will quench what you're thirsting for. So the soul thirsts. But as David knew all so well, his soul, which is thirsty in that desert, will be satisfied. Look at verse five. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And we stop right there and we think, how, when? He's thirsting, he's fainting, he says, but it will be satisfied. What a model here of faith and trust. He's going to be satisfied. He knows that. He so knows God that he knows satisfied soul is coming, which means he's okay with a thirsty soul at times. He's okay with valleys and he's okay with mountaintops. Neither of those are the treasure. Neither of those are the destination. The destination and the treasure is Jesus's love that's better than life. So mountaintop or valley, high or low, good or bad, he will be satisfied by the love of God. What an anchor he has. Read with me. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Okay, when? Okay, verse six. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. You know, it's common in the 2020 and 2021 for people to say that the Bible is old and outdated and it's not relevant. There is nothing more relevant than the word of God and I mean that to my core. It's more relevant than the news or the hottest news story or topic or whatever. Here is relevancy at its absolute best, laying in your bed and thinking. If that ain't the upcoming generation, that's exactly the upcoming generation, except for they lay in their bed like this all day long, all night, early morning. They are on their bed. They fall asleep looking at this and they wake up looking at this in their beds. And it's true. Psalm 63 says he lays in his bed and he can't sleep. 
and he meditates in the watches of the night. Late at night, he can't sleep. And he thinks about God and he remembers some things about God. Praise the Lord. May your life and mind and heart be filled with the good things of God so that you can remember them when you're thirsty. So that when you're thirsty in life, you are remembering things that make you think, I'm gonna be satisfied. I know I'll get this thirst quenched soon enough because I know God, I know what he's like. I know that he's for me. I know that he loves me. I've been to the sanctuary. I've beheld his power and glory. I lift up my hands, my lips praise him. He remembers God. Verse seven specifically says, he remembers that God has been his help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. The Bible describes God as this, this motherly or fatherly bird who with his wings is taking care of his children, protection and closeness and presence. He remembers that. Oh, how much we would be content or more content. Oh, how much we would be less stressed and anxious is when we lay in our beds thirsty and we cannot sleep. If we thought of the ways that God has been our help as he is here. This is a hopeful soul. This is a believing soul. Maybe not a satisfied soul right now, but he knows satisfaction comes from those who believe. He knows that. A believing soul, a confident soul, a confident soul in the future with God, in the future of God from his promises, the certainty of his promises. He believes this. My soul will be satisfied. And I love the way he describes it as with fat and rich food. You ever had a good meal before? A meal that's so good that you thought, man, I probably shouldn't have another serving, but bring it on. And you thought, man, that was good. And somebody said, would you like another serving? And you said, no, nah, I'm full. Sometimes we say, if we're classy enough, we say, I'm satisfied. But in my house, we say, I'm stuffed. This is the language that David in the desert uses because of how good God's love is for him. My soul will be satisfied. My thirsty soul will be satisfied. Like a big old meal, like a kingly meal my soul on the inside. Not fake it till you make it. Not put on a show on the outside that doesn't show what's going on, on the inside. His inside, his soul will be satisfied because of God. This is a faith. This is a trust. In our bulletin, we have Philippians chapter one. And uh, we, we read that earlier. And I don't remember if you were paying attention to that, but I want to point you back to this that Paul writes in Philippians chapter one. He knows what it means to have his soul satisfied. Listen to what he says in Philippians one. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's in prison writing this. And he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now and as, and as always, Christ 
will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. His soul must be satisfied if what he's concerned about in prison is God being honored as he dies in prison. He must be so content on the inside. Now, let's be honest. If you're not content on the inside, you are freaking out right here, and you would absolutely lose your character and integrity and everything else to get out of that position. But his soul was satisfied. And so in verse 21, he says this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sometimes it's hard to answer those questions at the funeral when they say, where are they and what are they doing now? And if Christ isn't in play as Lord and Savior, then I really don't know how to answer that question right there on the spot. But I'm gonna tell you what, if you are trusting in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins, not his sins, for your sins, if you will believe him, your soul will find satisfaction. Your heart will find what it longs for. Your sins will be forgiven. Your guilty conscience will be removed. God will give you peace and everlasting life and a clear conscience if you will trust in Christ. And so the satisfied soul is a real thing. It's a hopeful, believing soul. But then lastly, we get to verse eight. And it seems to have changed. The thirsty soul or the will-be-satisfied soul is now the clinging soul. And I really love the word cling. Verse eight, my soul clings to you. Mm, it's a good word, isn't it? You know what it means to cling, don't you? Like when you take clothes out of the dryer and they won't separate, static cling, the dryer sheet's like stuck to it. It like, it, it, it won't let go. That's what it means to cling, it won't let go. But you know what? When we think of clinging ourselves, we think of, I'm not letting you take this. You have to pry it out of my bare hands, right? That's what we say of clinging, a, a handshake, a grip, a hug, and we're gonna hold on tight. Nobody's gonna be able to get it away from us except for, this isn't his arms or hands that are clinging here. What's clinging? His soul. What does it look like for your soul to cling? It's not holding on to your Bible and saying, man, if you bury me, bury me with this. What does it look like for your soul to cling? A soul that clings is a soul that believes, that knows. A soul that clings is a soul that has found the answer to the thirst that it has. A soul that clings is a picture of faith and trust. A soul that clings. Oh, what a beautiful picture it is when you see a soul that clings. That the one thing that it will not let go of is the love of God for them, their sinful soul. We'll let go of everything if we will. As this week has taught us, we have to learn to let go of people and loved ones. We have to learn to let go of stuff. We have to learn to let go of money. We have to learn to let go of lots of things. 
But there's one thing that the soul should not let go of and cannot let go of, and it should cling to forever, and that is God and his love for us through his son, Jesus. You should be clinging to that. My soul clings, he says. Now, I want to show you, if you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4, I want to show you something real quick. This is always overlooked. I mean, I don't hear a lot of people mention this. In the Old Testament passages of calling for faith and love, trust and love and, and obedience, and those, those themes that would be pictures of salvation, like love and obey and those things, especially in the Old Testament's uh, 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 wording, this is often missed, clinging, if you will, throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse four. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. Do you see that hold fast? It's the same wording, same idea as clinging. Turn over in Deuteronomy to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, cling to him. Turn over to chapter 11, verse 22. For if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him. Turn over to chapter 13 of Deuteronomy, verse four. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. Does everybody see that? Cling to God. It's one thing to say that you believe. It's one thing to say that you love him, but it's not necessarily as easy to see that or to have a picture of that. And yet we get this word of clinging to him that is so uh, picturesque. It makes visible to us. It looks like you're holding on tight to God. Hold fast is what the soul of David is doing in Psalm 63 verse eight. Clinging, clinging. But I know that what happens when we get into this type of talk, we start to think, I'm holding on as strong as I can. Almost everybody I talk to, if I say something like, hang in there, keep on, keep pushing on, they say, I'm trying my best. I hear y'all say that quite a bit. And that's good, and I know what you mean. But as you try your best, it needs to be fueled by a love that is better than life. It needs to be fueled by one who not only always tries his best, but cannot do anything other than his best. It needs to be fueled by the God who always, always does what is good, better, best, perfect and holy and glorious. And so as David declares in Psalm 63a, my soul clings to you, look what he says at the end of verse eight, your right hand upholds me, right? 
And you know what? I love to play with my kids. We wrestle on the floor. I, I, will, I will lay down on my back and do the little Superman on my feet. And if they'll let me, I'll throw them as high as I can. And some kids like that and some kids don't. And you know, when they're young and they're scared, you can try to hold them up. And you know, ceilings are eight foot in a home and you can lift them up like that and like pin them against the ceiling and you do all these things. And, and kids will get thrilled sometimes and they'll get scared sometimes. And I think this is a beautiful picture. You know that when I've got my little child way up in the air like that, if I was to drop them from eight feet, that'd be pretty bad, right? They could break their neck, their back. They could, you know, knock some marbles loose or something like that. And you know what happens? If they're scared, I love this illustration. If they're scared and I lift them up and they think they're about to fall, you know what they're doing? They are clinging as hard as they possibly can to keep themselves from falling. You've seen that, right? You've all done it before. They are clinging as tight as they possibly can. I don't want to fall. Don't draw me. I don't want to fall. But you know what? 100% of their falling or not falling is actually on who? Me. And when his love is better than life, I'm clinging. But you know what keeps us there? His right hand upholds me. David is in the desert and his soul is thirsty. His flesh faints. He thinks about the love of God and remembers in the sleepless nights. He says, my soul will be satisfied and he clings to God. Why do we cling to God? Because God is clinging to us through the work of Christ on the cross. Charles Spurgeon said, though there was a desert around David, there was no desert in David. That's good. Though there was a desert around him, there was no desert inside of him. He believed God loved him. Will you Believe that God's son died in your place for you to know how much God loves you and that literally everything in this life is not as important as that. If you need to turn to Christ and trust him, meet me down here in a few minutes. We will help you believe. We will help you become a Christian. We will help you cling to him. Today can be the day that you say, I'm coming to Christ. I'm grabbing hold of him because he's holding on to me.